back then it was super easy. We sat around our, you know, dining room table and had coffee and donuts and negotiated the first net metering agreement in the state. This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hi, everyone. This is Kelsey Misbrenner, Managing Editor of Solar Power World magazine. I'm here today with Dave Hollister, President of Sundance Power Systems. Hi, Dave. Hi, Kelsey. Sundance Power Systems is based in Weaverville, North Carolina, near Asheville, I understand. That's correct. Cool. Um, Asheville is a very awesome place. Just went for the first time last year. It really is. And yeah, we 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 love Asheville and it's a wonderful place to be. So your company was founded in 1995 in a 75 square foot laundry room. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, you know, back then there wasn't really a solar industry in our in it you know it didn't exist you know essentially all solar up to that point was solar thermal and then when ronald reagan took over he crushed the solar thermal industry um so you know i just got a crazy idea that i wanted to do solar so uh, we just kind of started and you know, here we are, you know, 28, 29 years later. So. So how was that initial starting out? Did you have to educate a lot of people about the technology? Well, I think the first thing was we had to educate ourselves, right? So, (laughs) you know, back then the industry was dominated or at least most of the systems were solar thermal systems. The, The electrical systems were you know, essentially most of us who were like the esoteric, you know, off the grid people, you know, that's what it was, was, you know, okay, you're going to go down to the RV store and buy your appliances because they run on 12 volts. Right. Um, So, so back then it was really um, a really unique thing because we had a close network of people, which include, you know, Solar Energy International, which was really, really an incredible organization um, that really helped, you know, fortify and and train a lot of people. And then you had the folks out in California that were kind of on the forefront of some of the grid connected stuff. And so it was a really, really close network of installers that all talked together and we were training um you know the inspectors and trying to bring solar to a level where we felt comfortable being able to support it both within the context of the you know jurisdictions right like so the AHJs around the country Um, the inspectors and, you know, creating codes um, throughout the country. Um, So we all, we, we all communicated together. I mean, it was really a close network of um, really committed individuals that uh, joined together to try and bring solar electricity up to a place where 
people could rely on it in their homes. Absolutely. Businesses, you know, and, you know, and just pave the way for the solar revolution, which we're now, you know, experiencing now. So. What has been the key to your longevity? How have you stayed on top of technology and everything else? Um, I think it's been tenacity, um, you know, just believing in the future that we all see is like the, I guess where I started in solar came from being involved in the environmental, you know, uh, activism for many years. And it even stretched back before that, where um, I just realized, like, you know, pretty much all life forms on the planet use the sun as their <laughs> their source of energy. And so the whole ecosystem and all this incredible complexity of life on this planet has been driven by the sun. And so that to me, was just like a cornerstone of why I felt like um, I wanted to start the company back then and what has kept me alive, <laughs> quite frankly, through all the ups and downs of what, you know, we all term the solar coaster over the years, you know, is just knowing like this is the eventuality of where we derive our energy from. Right. Like if you look at it in terms of, you know, battery storage, we, you know, we've been running on solar energy that's been stored for, you know, what, 100 million years or more in the ground and with oil and coal. And it's just like, you know, it's inevitable, you know. So for me, um, it's been really a love of my life, quite frankly. Um you know, I'm, I'm here to, you know, do what I do. And <laughs> it's going to take a lot to get me off of that. <laughs> so, you know, it, it has been hard. It's not been easy. Um, and so we've really had to engage. I think my activism helped me because I knew what it took to go after the ozone holes and companies dumping toxins into the rivers. And, you know, I know what it takes to move the needle um, of society and of the corporate world. Um, so I really felt like this was the way I could pursue that ethos within myself while being doing something that was proactive and positive and creating a new future for ourselves. And that to me is like what, you know, how could you get a better, <laughs> a better thing to live your life for than that? So. For sure. And the activism piece is also interesting because this is a unique industry where companies kind of have to be activists to, make sure that solar policy goes in the right direction. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I don't know that a lot of companies actually do that. Um, Sundance has had to do that because of just, you know, when we started and, 
you know, within the first year of when we started the company, we negotiated the first net metering agreement in the state of North Carolina with the local co-op that our house happened to French Broad Electric co-op that our house happens to be served served by. Um, back then it was super easy. We sat around our, you know, dining room table and had coffee and donuts and negotiated the first net metering agreement in the state. 15 years later, they, re, you know, they withdrew the net metering agreement. And now <laughs> it's a little more of a battle to gain the ground that we need. Um, and so I, I guess I want to requalify some of it is like, I don't know if activism is necessarily the right word, but um, cooperation and communication Maybe I'm just getting older, right? So I could just be getting older. But but the bottom line is, you know, and I I, I say this in, in every interview, we we created the utility industry. Like society, you know, we all ask them to do what they're doing. And they've done a really good job, right? So you know, in North America, in the United States, I mean, we have some of the best grids in the world, right? So they did a really good job of doing what they asked them to do. You know, it's just that now we we're asking them to do something different, right? So it's really challenging because they've built up these huge businesses, these massive income streams and these, you know, all this power that they will wield both political power, economic power, you know, there's, and we're asking them to do something different. And so I think we always have to approach this transition from a place of respect and understanding that it's not going to be easy for them to transition just like it, it's, you know, hard for, us to transition right so to to buy a solar system for 30 or forty thousand dollars not an easy thing we didn't never used to have to do that so you know i think having a really good perspective in understanding the you know a compassionate you know perspective and what it's really taking to move our collective societies towards sustainability is I think the foundation that we have to have if we're gonna, you know, engage utilities or we're gonna engage these folks into like, how do we change? And they're not gonna win all the time and we're not gonna win all the time. But in the end, nature bats last. Right. So, you know, at some point we got to go, what do we have to do in order to avoid catastrophe? Yeah. So focusing a little bit more on the latest net metering changes, um, your company was one of three large rooftop installers who helped negotiate this latest compromise with Duke Energy. So tell me how you got involved in that and what those discussions were like. Sure. Well, we'd have to start probably five to six years before 
um, and maybe even before that. So um, as you mentioned, Asheville is a really cool town. So I first started being able to really negotiate well with Duke. Um, it was during the first, uh, I guess, the second Gulf War. And Duke wanted to build a peaking power plant in Asheville. And the people of Asheville just said, no way, not happening. And so Duke decided to create this um, council where they had, you know, business leaders and everything. And their idea at that point was, you know, if we just get everyone around the table and we educate them, then they'll agree with us. Right. Well, two years later, nobody agreed with them. Right. <laughs> but it gave us a chance to really get a deeper relationship with Duke. Um, and then we in 2015, the state tax credit was going to sunset in North Carolina. And so a group of us um, approached Duke and we said, hey, let's talk about you know, can we create an incentive program? Can we do this like on our own? Can we just come out and do this on our own? And so we had the regulatory folks at Duke and the presidents of Duke, and you know, we all got together and um, we proposed a rebate program back then. And the public staff of the Utilities Commission at that point shot it down and then um so we we realized we had to go to the legislature and and eventually the legislature you know said you you need to do a rebate program right so we had some history with the organization um when this last round of uh essentially the legislature since then said Listen, you've got to look at cross subsidies. You got to look at, um, you know, this idea of cross subsidies and eliminate it within your rate structure. Um, there was a group of environmental groups and folks that were representing solar that negotiated agreement in South Carolina. And it involved, um, you know, not only a, a change to the rates, but an associated rebate program that came with it, that combined, if they were passed, you know, be okay, right? You know, because Duke was like, well, listen, you know, we're happy to, you know, reduce our income stream and stuff like that if we somehow get to make money on it, right? So their thing was, is like, okay, We'll do a rebate program. We'll keep the solar industry alive with the rebate. We'll get cost recovery on that um, and be able to look at lost revenues associated with these programs. Um, in South Carolina, that the rebate, the rates passed, but the rebate didn't. And because we knew what we had gone through five years earlier, in North Carolina, we knew that the rebate would not pass in North Carolina either, right? 
So that's when the three solar companies, which was Yes Solar Solutions, Southern Energy, Southern Energy Management, and Sundance Power Systems, we said, well, all those folks who negotiated that agreement in South Carolina were bound by an agreement they made in South Carolina. To, you know, like we had to enter the ring ourselves and hire a lawyer and actually in, intervene in the utilities commission case. So that's how we got there. <laughs> okay. How much of your time and energy did that, those discussions take? Well, I'd say, um, you know, over the last two years, it's probably, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, and tens of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees, which, you know, we had, you know, some other companies in North Carolina offered a support. We had some foundation support um, through some, some contacts that I've had to help. So it was a huge amount of time. Um, and again, we support we we went into those conversations understanding that a the legislature commanded Duke to do a certain thing. We couldn't change that, right? Now, obviously, the the uh, I would say that the the data to support that cross subsidies were actually happening that these things I don't believe was really there. I mean, most of the, the data that Duke used in North Carolina came from South Carolina. They didn't really have any data from North Carolina. And that's really the biggest um, issue right now. So the, the whole case has been brought to the courts by some outside groups um, that question whether they did the right analysis for North Carolina. But we realize like we have to get into the game and see if there's a pathway forward. Um, and so it was really interesting. I mean, you know, I, I actually spoke to Duke the other day about this, which is the power dynamic when you when when you're a solar company or you, the power dynamic between a monopoly and a few solar companies is just like, you can't even understand what that feels like. You know, you're on the phone, you got one lawyer and you got a couple of solar guys and you got 15 lawyers and like, you know, <laughs> on the other side of the call, right? So, so there's a power dynamic, but there's, you know, there's a, a need to really try and figure out a path forward that is not going to do what happened in South Carolina, which was it, it completely crushed the residential solar industry in South Carolina. It, it just did. And you can look at the data all you want. Um, and so, you know, and I, I think Duke is very keen and shrewd and not wanting to, um overplay their hand necessarily so they were willing to talk to us so i mean they they basically had to and and so that's how we got 
to where we got to on the on the stipulation. And are you satisfied with the outcome? Um, was it mostly the bridge rate that you guys were advocating for? Well, <sighs> that's a, well, you know, from a negotiating standpoint, I feel like we did the best we could. You know, again, you're dealing with a power dynamic that, you know, we asked for a lot more and we didn't get it, right? So, I mean, there is a power dynamic there. But I will say that um, part of our thinking in negotiating this bridge rate was that over a period of time, several things are going to happen, right? So we got five years, basically. Um, maybe it's less than that, depending on how you look at it. But I mean, the, the reality is, is that politics change, right? So the winds of politics change all the time. Um, energy prices are starting to increase dramatically. Duke has put in a, a rate increase of, you know, I think it's like 18% over three years, right? Which is more than most of us use as like a 3% escalator. I mean, there are, it's a changing world. And so we felt like um, based on the power we were given to negotiate, we got the best deal we could and at least bought us some time for potentially these other conversations, both political and environmental conversations to start to uh, apply new pressures. You know, the other thing that we had in North Carolina, which was unique was that they were, Duke was required to create um, a carbon plan and to be involved in a car carbon plan. And so, you know, you never get what you want. So just to answer your question, you never get what you really want, you know, but we, we, we believe we did the best we could for our industry in North Carolina and for the people of North Carolina to at least be able to successfully continue to go solar in an economically viable way um, and buy us some time for some of these other things to develop that could potentially create transformational change, which is what we're all looking for. We'll be right back. This edition of the Contractors Corner podcast is brought to you by Scanafly, the only drone-based solar design software. Learn more about Scanafly at scanafly.com. This episode is also brought to you by Wago. Discover the latest in energy products and solutions by going to wago.com. From high performance automation products to the best in class PCB connectors and rail mount terminal blocks, Wago has the most reliable products at higher current and voltage levels for your energy applications. Wago, the backbone of a sustainable and smart connected world. Now back to the show. Let's zoom back out a little bit from the political landscape and talk about just your project kind of load 
Um, you guys do both residential and commercial projects, That's right? Mm -hmm. Okay. What was the most unique project your company has finished so far? So um, I think the most unique project was a project we did for um, Catawba College. Um, this was a project that I've had a lot of heartfelt desire to do. Um, and well, actually, this is kind of two projects. So let me, let me. So Catawba College was one where we developed a very unique model for leveraging um, private and public monies together to do a very extensive project on Catawba College um, in Salisbury, North Carolina, which involved, you know, I think it was uh, maybe six solar thermal projects, several net metered solar electric projects, and then three um, other, what we would call sell-all projects that were, you know, owned by an investor group, um, which will be turned over the college this year um, and donated to the college this year. And, you know, the project was a little over a megawatt of solar and a bunch of solar thermal. And it was really, really awesome to see that community come together to support that project. And we did a similar project here in Asheville with um, a local school and same kind of thing happened where we got the community to raise money. We, you know, got some high donor dollars to come in and we created a project out of thin air, basically to put solar on a school um, in North. So those, those projects to me are the most valuable because it shows the political will of the community to start to navigate towards sustainability. Like those projects to me are just, they, they meet a high bar. Um, you know, it's great when a company wants to go solar and they want to put a megawatt on their factory or, you know, residential customers, to me, every single residential customer is a hero in my book. I mean, you don't have to go solar. So when someone decides to spend, you know, twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars on solar, I'm like, God bless them, right? Because it's incredible that people want to do that. So it's hard to pick one or two, but those two, the, the Catawba College project and the Isaac Dixon Elementary School are the two where the communities, the, the local communities really came out and said, you know what, we're going to make this happen. And it showed the political will of our community. What is preventing you from installing more projects? Ooh, well, first of all, I mean, the economics, right? So economics are always an issue. Again, this is like something that people don't have to do, right? So 
you know, if, if you want to wash your clothes, you got to buy a washing machine. You got to buy, you know, the dryer, refrigerator, you need an HVA, you know, air conditioning, heating system in your house. So, you know, this has always been an option for people. Um, so the economics of solar is always something that's important. Um, and, you know, the economics of solar has been a function of not only the incentives that, that are available, but also like what's going on in the economy in general. So, you know, the economy is like going gangbusters and, you know, everybody's like, yeah, it's, you know, everything's going great. You know, so I think the economics of solar plays a certain amount. Um, I think um, having a an industry where, you know, being able to hire people and have people that are trained and can, you know, you, we still are probably the primary um, workforce development organization in our community. I mean, we have literally trained and supported and, you know, hired and developed, you know, probably several hundred solar folks in our community that have gone on to start their own companies and, you know, gone on to do stuff nationally and internationally. So, you know, having trained people, you know, um, is definitely something that's important. Um, you know, supply chains recently have been a big issue. So, you know, at one point through the you know, COVID, we were like, well, we can't get the stuff to install. Why should we market more? Why should we do, you know, why should we build our company when we can't even get the stuff to install it, right? Um, and I think if you if you look at it from a big picture point of view, it's really about a collective consciousness, right? So, we need the entire planet to start realizing like this has got to be the way to go. This can't be, you know, Republican, Democrat. It, it, you know, this is a this is something that can really be a unifying issue. And we need it to be something that everyone agrees that we need to support. Um throughout the, you know, North America and beyond, you know? So there is the political aspect of it that is super critical. And, you know, that comes down to the regulatory and utility scale, which at some points, you know, the utility was probably one of the biggest ones in our way because they would slow down the interconnections they, you know, it's like if you can't get interconnected for six months, you know, that's 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 going to slow everything down. So it it's really, a you know, all the above things. I, I hope that answers your question. But I yeah. 
it, it you know it can be any one of those things at any point in time <laughs> yes all right and then my last question what are some future products that you're looking forward to or categories of products so i think the the idea of battery storage is becoming you know more and more the direction that um the industry is taking um I think that there are some very unique products that are coming on board, but yet are have not been fully vetted. So internally, we kind of look and, we, you know, we're probably a little bit of a slow adopter because we've been through it, you know, so we've seen, you know, we, you know, 20 years ago, we hung our hat on a couple things and they didn't work out. And then it's like, so I think how we integrate battery storage um, into a home and how we make that super easy for people to navigate and to deal with. I think smart load centers probably need to be, you know, almost guaranteed in every house moving forward. I mean, it just really simplifies things when it comes to, you know, battery backup, uh, you know, and I think in many parts of the, you know, at least in the United States, you know, the batteries have been driven by self-consumption and by these grid limited areas, right? So it's been more, but I think more and more people, you know, like what's being shown in California. I mean, people are realizing like the grid may not be as as um, as reliable as it once used to be. So I think, you know, anything that starts to make it easier for us to be able to provide these systems that can provide multiple value chains for people, because you know, yeah, you could do load shifting and you can, you know, with time of use becoming the norm, um, you know, load shifting is great, but, you know, people are also, the another value is battery backup, right? Um, so having systems that, you know, could really provide multiple value streams for people and make it super easy for them to interact with it, because I think that um, a lot of these systems have gotten so complex that, you know, you got to, you know, the IT element is so, um, it's such an Im important aspect, but it also makes it very difficult for most people to interact with it sometimes. So um, those types of products to me seem like it'll really help us. Um Obviously, cheaper battery storage would be a great thing, but you know we'll see. I, I we're at one of those stages, right? Where you know I don't think there's a really um, significant transformational storage system, you know, battery storage system yet. Um, but there may there uh, that that could happen, and I'm I'm not a, a super fan of the lithium than what's happening globally with lithium right now. So, I mean, maybe there's a way to, you know, create a storage system that doesn't have some of the impacts, environmental, 
and global impacts that the lithium thing is having right now. So that would be a great thing. Okay. Lots to look forward to for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for all your insight on the North Carolina solar market and beyond. Thanks, Kelsey. Really appreciate it. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.